Hi. Hello. I like it. It's good. It's it's fun. Um it's not it's not perfect. Nothing's perfect. Is that a good story? Did you know that nothing's perfect? Um God works in mysterious ways. And I feel like it's really one of those things you're like, "Oh, God worked in mysterious ways again." Like, I wish that God didn't have to work in mysterious ways when it was my turn. Jeez. Jesus. It's like, if it wasn't for God always working in mysterious ways at the point that, like... Like, it's not... Uh, like, things getting screwed up for you, God was working in mysterious ways. Um, but it's good to be here this morning, and it's good to be here this evening. I like that. Uh, it's like sometimes I get one or two views on the video version of this broadcast that I do, and it's kind of like people like to tune in. One or two people venture out to see if I s actually started looking at the camera yet. They're like, ah, he didn't get it yet, unfortunately. We'll check back in later. That's too bad. He's, he's trying. Maybe he'll make it. Maybe he'll start looking at the camera ever. But, but you know that's fun, and then um, everything, everything, every everything is um, everything's really great in my life. Obviously, everything, um, truly everything is uh, unquantifiably fantastic in my life, and I can't say enough about that. And uh, it's just that um, I'm just really blessed to be living such a fantastic degree's worth of good. I'm living that out in my life. Um, but threaten the environment, I think. I say, I say threaten the environment. In recent, in the last few weeks, it has come to my attention about this podcast that, but it has, it has been coming to my attention. But I would like to, I feel like the environment needs a good threatening, the environment of what I, I'm doing to myself. Um, I feel like threatening the environment. What I want to do, because I can't do this forever, because the environment needs to be threatened, I would like to do a live podcast at a venue, where a venue would take me the same. Like when I saw Kill Tony and Tony Hinchcliffe doing that, he hosts a live podcast. Um, I just felt like... I just felt like I would like to take what I'm doing in that direction, but also the point is not... It, it's just that it's just that this format really just makes me feel suffocated. and um, But it's more like the, the point is to threaten the environment. So it's like I'm talking about the facility and the borders of what I'm doing, and it's like uh, the camera dictates a certain rectangle's worth of that for, uh, vi for video, and then me sitting in the same place is pretty sedentary sedentary but i'm talking about the rules of the game and maybe and the rules of the game often need to be threatened and but and that should happen and like i'm excited about the comeuppance of that 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 should be fun like there isn't a lot of ignorance and hot air that i've accumulated over a number of episodes here that um, is going to come home to roost at the point that I have to start doing this in front of people or anything like that. That's not going to happen. Nobody gets their comeuppance in life. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as comeuppance. Let me see what is how loud I am. 
and I'm gonna I'm gonna do the one headphone on, one headphone off technique, because I'm um, because I'm very good at that. Because I invented it, because I'm very good at it. This is my technique. Anybody can use it. And let me tell you a little bit about technique. So I want to threaten the environment, and but that's and here's the technique. The technique is change the rules of the game, but um, I'm trying to do too much right now. Things don't have to be perfect, and I don't have to like get ahead of myself or. Um, but uh, it's just that like um, I, what I would do is host a live podcast recorded the same way I do now. It's just I would do this at a place that would that would have me. And, uh, and when I get there, I'm going to threaten their environment. When I get there, I'm going to be like, oh, do you think that, do you think that this kind of podcast couldn't happen? I'm going to start calling people out. I'm going to start pissing on people for the clothes they're wearing. I'm going to be a, I'm going to be an asshole. Just kidding. I don't think that I would do that at all because the first time that I'd started doing that, I would be terrified of everybody. And, um, because I don't know how much of an asshole that I am really i don't know i don't think that that's that true that premise oh yeah you're an asshole all right hey buddy you're an asshole hey buddy um i'm just trying i'm just trying to be above it i'm just trying to be above the bar of um maybe it's like other people's embarrassment versus mine like, if I can get above the bar, then I am on the other side of it. And at that point, um, I have the capacity to not be embarrassed myself any longer. But, like, there are some people that are willing to threaten an environment. And these people are not necessarily popular. But the next question I have is, what uh, is that completely inerrant? Like, I think that people i i think that to some extent or completely you can't do anything about how interesting you are and so some people have to live a life that's not interesting but it has to do with appreciation some people like to make their life about stories and so they would see themselves as a failure if they weren't creating any but having more stories is more appreciative because it's it's authorities that you are selling people on somewhat one of them is just say you're a storyteller, you're you are interesting, or you are you do have something to say, and it's titles like this that you, maybe people like story. No, I, I don't know. The, the story has to gives you a title beyond storyteller. I'm saying that having stories gives you titles uh, automatically because stories are about titles, like. Like you would say stories if you were if you liked to sell people on yourself, but it uh, I don't know if that's totally true, and that's not that's not what I'm on here to talk about that specifically. That's just like temporarily what I'm on about temporarily in this moment, but it's really like um, uh, Dave Letterman and Jay Leno. You know about those folks since I talk about them, like. Um, Jay Leno's show is less of a secret society, but Jay Leno has more secrets than David Letterman. But this is the reason, part of the reason why what ends up playing out is that David Letterman's show is more of a secret society than Jay Leno. Jay Leno, the Tonight Show that he put out there was more open to the public, but it has to do with that. It has to do with the following truth. 
Jay Leno has more. Well, let me. <clears throat> it has to do with that Jay Leno. I'm just not very comfortable right now. And uh, I'm panicking. And I drink too much coffee. And um, I don't want to go into this point. I'm just trying to let you in on my life. I'm just trying to be honest. I'm just trying to be honest. And what I'm telling you is that um, I'm just really, really just trying to make this all about honesty. I'm just trying to, but like, um, it's just that, uh, and out with it. Here it is. Here's this about what I'm saying about secrets. Jay Leno has more secrets than, um, and this doesn't really have anything to do with my life because I'm making a point about, and this has to do with Jay Leno and David Letterman's life, by the way. And, and um, Jay Leno has secrets. David Letterman doesn't. Like, Jay Leno has more secrets, but this this results in different styles for their societies that they embolden, where Jay Leno emboldens the Tonight Show society and the crowd and the kind of environment and energy that is brought to the table through him hosting it. He infuses all... He injects all that energy by him being the face and the leader of that group of people and that title and that entity, The Tonight Show, does Jay Leno. And then David Letterman does the same thing for The Late Show that he hosts. But I'm saying David Letterman is more of like the secretive society. But this is strange because Letterman is less of a secretive person. But um, it is true that if you're more secretive and then you're like in front of an audience... Like, this takes the pressure off of the audience. Jay Leno is more secretive, and he has more secrets. And as a result, the audience doesn't have to have any themselves. And it's like Jay Leno is... Jay Leno is unidentified. David Letterman is identified, is the way that you would explain that. Uh, like, David Letterman is identified, and it's kind of like conservative liberal is like this, I'd say... That um, I'd say that liberals are identified, but conservatives are unidentified, really, and that's that's true. Conservatives are unidentified, but they deal more in conspiracy or um, putting the pressure on themselves for standing up for a conspiracy is more difficult. But liberals deal more in like identity and authority a little bit. Liberals are, I would say, if you had to choose one, liberals are more identified. Conservatives are more unidentified, but David Letterman does not have secrets, and as a result, the entire audience and environment is more secretive. Jay Leno has secrets, and this comes through in just what you'd see from him in, in interviews. He has secrets like you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to pin down what it is that he's was like personal about himself, but David Letterman makes it a point to be open and personal and generous, liberal with his personality. Jay Leno is... Uh, more secretive, but it's like the dynamic works out such that if you are more secretive as a performer, that makes it so that the audience, I mean, the audience doesn't have to have secrets, basically, but in a, but in a David Letterman style, the audience does have secrets because the pressure is more on the audience and David Letterman style pressure is off the it, Jay Leno's is more fun it's not about this rigidity and these rules it's more of this open environment and that results from when your lead performer is an is an unidentity unidentified type of person as opposed to an identified person identified person leads to that the entire environment has to have more secrets all on its own because the leader the leader is too generous. So somebody has to have the blame and somebody has to have the secrets. But like 
this brings up a this brings up an important point that I'm going to say to you about um mm, roll with it here roll with it don't drop the ball here it comes yeah, I'm gonna say it sometimes like going actually doing a, a thing doing a something is like puking but that and then that works on a number of levels actually doing something is like puking like when I go to work out and I do squats or something and I don't like those because they make me feel like I'm dying but I mean a, a lot of workouts make me feel that way and uh, that's it it makes me feel like I'm dying, but like actually going, actually going into the set of the of the reps that I'm going to do, like I'm going to do ten of them. Uh, before you do that, it's kind of like you're about to puke, because because you can always not do it. Well, but but no, like puke, it's not the same. You can't always not puke. Sometimes you have to puke, but some people have more control over that. But like it's kind of like actually doing something. And, but then when you're doing it, then it's whatever, you know, uh, then it's more current. When it's, when you're outside of it, you get to see it as an object. When you're doing it, it's in motion. And it's, I mean, but like, if you're in motion, then, but this brings up a, uh, an important point about the relationship between money and identity. And like, to this point, I typically explaining that identities are versions of money and they are. They are uh, different identities, different entities, different businesses, different constructs, different sets of rules, programs that people run that are based on rules for the code that they wrote for, for example, their, their petting zoo or their, their wildlife preserve. Like that there's a wildlife preserve in the in a forest or like a either a state park or just a county park, just like a park where you can hike. There's like a there's a place for wildlife. There's somebody sets up a building there. I feel like that that is beyond, beside the point or or there's something kind of there's just like like obviously that doesn't make sense but i'm talking about the confluence of nature and unnature but you would say that the direction of money is the direction of unnaturalness and it is more natural to uh, avoid money like lack of money is more natural just just being one with nature it's more natural this is not like the more that there's money that the more that there's these improvement where we create all these constructs to, to in order to further the cause of money because to some extent all of the unnatural instances like technology and all that that breeds technology and then even to the point of humans evolving into robots or turning into robots or merging with technology and that that is unnatural that has a lot to do with money and people trying to make money but for whatever reason this is some sort of natural progression of humans where we are like constantly running in that direction like if we merge with technology we couldn't have prevented that everybody was just moving there but it's kind of like the world actually moves in the direction of money it doesn't move in the direction of primitivity it doesn't move in the direction of what we would deem to be natural but like you would also be remiss to say that um 
the current state of things, the current reality is unnatural when it is, that is natural for the moment. Like we have, we have come to this point where we have all of these layers of consciousness separating us from the natural world, including the borders of buildings that you're in and, or, or just mindsets, mentality of that we are, we are intelligent, we're not depraved anymore. Those are layers of consciousness that sep separate you from acting like an animal. It's like sociability and things like that. And um, that is the state of things as we live in it now. And so you can't say that that's, like, you can't say that that's unnatural just because that, just because consciousness now exists in a different form at this new point in the future, like I'm saying, at this point now where we have different versions of, like the same things that we had before now exist in a different version, sort of. And so it's like kind of like the way that we live now is basically as natural in, in some senses is as natural as when people were first evolving or that they're all like living in tribes and have to kill a wildebeest and then don't even have, haven't even invented fire. To, they just like eat the raw meat of a wildebeest like that primitive, um, like, the way that we live now is is in some sense it's just as natural because eating just exists in a different form but it's like now instead of the monetary value of a wildebeest walking around we have we have summarized that or we have summarized that into like you can go to Wendy's but Wendy's is this construct that captures the energy and the mentality of killing a wildebeest but it's made, simplifies it and that is a result of the unnaturalness of money and and capitalism like a capitalistic environment that allows competing companies to try to achieve the greatest amount of capital but like the the it's capitalism and you have jay leno and david letterman and they are capitalizing on the capitalistic environment by uh by taking these positions by taking these positions in that are offered to them through a capitalistic environment like the tonight show is a position that somebody else created and like the late show i think maybe david letterman created so you can create your own position or that or take up one that used to exist but the positions are the result of a capitalistic society that's like you can make a specific amount of money if you take this position you can you can have this kind of salary if you take up this identity if you're a graphic designer you would uh, you would typically make like 56,000 or something. I, don't, I wouldn't know the number. I'm just throwing out a number. But like you make this salary on average for being this identity and you receive a specific salaries for these specific carved out points of reference and identities that you can take up in life. And there's like, uh, and that has to do with that there are well-trodden pathways. You're like, well, these are the 13 things that I can be and that there aren't like uh, infinite things that you could really actually feasibly be. That's because of technique and well-trodden pathways of like, well, it worked for me to live my whole life and I paid the bills and got money by going down this pathway of graphic designer, but there's like, but there's only like 13 or so really well-trodden pathways as a result of not enough people like we don't it there aren't as many people originating things and creating alternate pathways but the more people that there are just overall is more path alternate pathways that would be created and and over time more derivatives are created and more pathways are seen and understood and it has to do with people intelligently recognizing that an alternative pathway is just as good but 
like you live in a capitalistic society they're carved out positions of capital different different levels but the point that i'm making with capitalism is that um the production that's involved is such that it's kind of um it becomes more canned if you have a if you have this stabilized environment in a tonight show obviously where the jokes are meant to be well written all of the jokes that jay leno says in his monologue are like written and they're manufactured and manipulated by a team of people in order to get the best response from an audience so that the audience laughs and then that gives you good propaganda and exposure for the viewing audience it gives a viewing audience a cue but it's like to, to laugh it helps them know what to laugh at but it kind of sets the tone for comedy across the entire culture is like the well-written jokes when there are fewer pathways that you go down to receive your comedy in the world such as like when we had when everybody was relying on cable as opposed to youtube for their comedy but then youtube comes along as a saturation of many different alternate pathways of comedy that we didn't have exposure to before but um like when you have it in a stabilized environment like the Tonight Show is very well, I, well identified entity for comedy, source of comedy. It's like this is the most mainstream, most popular one. And then the jokes on there are written to get like the most popular reactions. And in some senses, being funny gets left behind and it does the more so that it's uh, this, the environment is very obvious. And when things are produced you are writing like in a more tonight show and late show type of world for when those are your sources of comedy with like late night show competition is the kind of comedy that rules the comedy landscape when that is the case you have more produced comedy and it is more about popularity than it is about being funny you write jokes to be popular you don't write them to be funny but this is a problem that persists even beyond a late night show controlled landscape of comedy where um people have got it in into their heads but this is this is a point that gets brought up in joker that the joker goes on joker goes on the late night show and um he makes he makes these points about the joker does joaquin phoenix he makes these points while he's on the late show, the Tonight Show that he's on, because he got invited there. He's saying that comedy is subjective and that, like, he's addressing the audience and the host of the show that, the like, everybody decides what is funny, but, um, like, it's kind of, I don't really know exactly what he's saying. But he's making points about the produced comedy just leads to this more ritualistic and, like, uh, not, it doesn't, it doesn't allow for people to be funny when there are rules and there's always rules when something is more produced and like even though the tonight show is relatively less rule-based i would argue than the late show with letterman it's still rule-based and the parameters are set up and they are reinforced constantly with the kind of jokes that are well manufactured for opening monologues that are written that way to get the best reactions possible but it's like um what i'm arguing about is it has to do with money and, and it's just that, like, uh, what results is that being funny gets left in the dust is the point that Joker is making. Because um, being funny gets left in the dust at, in lieu, instead you have comedy and people trying to be comedians. And it's really like, 
um, like I want to go to a comedian. I want to go to a place that does comedy, like a comedy club. And um, I want to know how far they're willing to go with that premise. I want to, I want to, uh, in some sense, it's threatened an environment. But like, if you're a comedy club, you know what would be really funny is if you stop doing comedy. That would be hilarious. Or like, if you, what if you were a comedian? But you didn't do any comedy. Wouldn't that be funny? Now that would be funny. That would be hilarious if you didn't do any comedy at all. Um, and I wanted to say that with gusto for you today. I wanted to set aside a moment for me to deliver that point for you to think about it. What if you were a comedy club but you didn't... What What if you stopped doing... I want to go to a comedy club and be like, you should stop doing comedy. Wouldn't that be funny? What if you stopped doing comedy? And the point that I'm making is that being a comedian excuses you from being funny in the current comedy like from what i've seen from the current comedy landscape people want to be comedians and comedians aren't necessarily funny but it's just it's just that funny is funny comedy isn't funny and it's more difficult to be funny because there's something funny about people who are funny it makes you more of a creep it's more difficult to be funny and the culture has moved on from that, it, it, and instead they look to authorities for comedy more, and it makes the entire world a lot less funny. And that's what Joker is pointing out, because the Joker is a creep, and it's a world, and that's why we don't like clowns, is because we're, like, funny for the sake of... If we have to recognize funny to be the most valid funny, then you're also throwing in all these weirdos, like... And, and the weirdos are thrown out of the picture entirely in a Tonight Show environment that is all about popularity and looking visibly laughed at. And there's there's forms of comedy that you can do that are like, you could tell the comedian is all about being a comedian. There's forms of comedy where people are being comedians and then there's forms of where people are being funny. And it would, well, and I don't know what it's I don't know what it's like everywhere, but that's part of what people say that there's a PC culture and what who pays the price are comedians. Some of that is that you have comedy clubs that the only thing that they can ever do is comedy and that isn't that isn't really funny when you have a very rule-based environment like that that it's like comedy plays out here, then you get a lot of people throwing out rehashed and derivative like sets of comedy that they've seen in other people that is that sound the right way and are timed the right way according to like the rules of comedy and you would get that when you're in rule-based environments like comedy clubs that are can't exist without being comedy and like but the point that i was making is a point about um Here's the point that I'm making is this point about it. It's this point. Um, let me take a second to not be uh, so forthright with what I'm saying. And um, let me just ponder. Let's take a second to ponder. Let's look at where we've been and where we aren't going later. But there's something about being recorded that reinforces some rules too, because I see the way that other people act on YouTube and it's like, even that is this identity that I'm, that I'm aligning myself with. 
and for formulating myself through formulating myself with uh, in the direction of the way I see other people do YouTube because there's like there's certain things you can't do even for a YouTube environment and then um but it's like pursue you need to be able to pursue alternate pathways that aren't based on repeated techniques and like in in life if you want to but people bring up that whether you're secular or you're religious pe people are always bringing up that broad is the way to that leads to dis destruction and narrow is the way that leads to life and that uh, i don't really know exactly what that means but obviously nobody does and that's why there's so many different interpretations of it lots of people all over the place like to talk about whatever they think that that means I think that it means I think that it's kind of like about happiness that if you are an if if you're stuck doing the things that everybody else is doing then you're just going to live an unhappy life like repetition and that's what people are voicing their concerns for a lot now with like a um resignation movement or like people not going to work like pe yeah like people quitting their jobs in mass numbers is like uh some of that is we realize that mundane life or desk job or we're actually taking action on when we've said for years that desk jobs are meaningless or too mundane but like you will not be happy if you're stuck living the same thing over and over again because like some i i i don't know maybe it's like a point about happiness the pathways that are broader, everybody's going down those. But if you're if you're really doing what you want, you're, that would probably involve you creating a lot of your own paths. And if you don't allow, and those are going to be more narrow. If you don't allow yourself to do that, you're not going to find life. You're not going to find life being in the same place. Like that's more about death. The same way that the same way that at the point that you're dead, you're going to be in the same place for the rest of time. You're going to be in that casket at the. When you're alive is when you can be in different places. But it's like, uh, I would say life is more characterized by new things than the same thing. And the same thing is what everybody else is doing. Those are broad pathways. I think it's sort of like a point about happiness. Um, but like, and um, here's what I'm saying to you is that the point about money that the dynamic identity versus unidentity brings up is that um, here's it's a point about money and it's that point is as follows here it is um, like analysts broadcasters sports broadcasters and sports analysts always keep driving home that a team needs to have an identity but they're wrong because Actually, what you need to have is a lack of identity and they don't, they're wrong. They don't know that you need to have a lack of identity. That's what you mean to say. That's what gives you success. Does not give you success to have an identity. I see this playing out with Wisconsin football as we speak over the course of this year is that this is exactly what their problem is. Wisconsin thinks currently their football program thinks that in order to win, they need to have a strong identity. And it is causing their downfall completely, and that is exactly that is exactly the description that somebody needs to explain to them, because um, and it's their their identity is their problem. They think that they can run the ball and 
the same way that they've always done because that's their identity and that this is going to bring them to victory is they think that what's going to bring them to victory is adhering to their identity when when you play too much into your identity this makes you identified to people and people know what you're doing the reason ohio state wins so many games is because of their lack of identity the reason michigan demolished wisconsin last saturday is because michigan has a lack of identity not because they have an identity but like okay so they're they're more identified to the running game michigan is this year but not in not in past years like at various times they were more adhering to the running game but you don't they're doing something new this year, and it's because year to year you don't know you wouldn't be able to pin Michigan down to one thing more so. But Wisconsin, and it's just but Wisconsin is more that way. They're more identified. But this is differences in cultures and groups of people, like people of Wisconsin versus people of Michigan versus people of Ohio, and it's, it comes down to the city even because you look at Madison, and Madison is a unique place. It's it's identifiable. Wisconsin and their fans are they're more about traditions and you can identify them. What what is Ohio State's tradition? It is uh not their tradition is they have a few minor ones about the band dotting the I. Dotting the I in the name Ohio. Their tradition is Ohio. And so nothing gets more ambiguous than that. Wisconsin's tradition is identifiable to jumping around and singing this song. Besides that, doing this song after this quarter or the, these things always play out at Camp Randall. They have traditions that are identifiable. That's the way that Madison, the city is. Madison, giant spider just like, giant spider just dropped from the ceiling with its web. It scared me. Scared me to death. I wonder, it's just dropping so quickly. I didn't know that spiders, obviously, I know I've seen lots of spiders and seen everything that they can do. I already know. It's just that I'm faced with it in this moment. It's renewed to me. I'm not really afraid of spiders. I'm a, I just thought it was like, maybe I thought it was a centipede. I'm not a fan of centipedes, but I don't see any in this apartment. Um, so let me tell you about my life. That's a new segment I'm doing. It's called Let Me Tell You About My Life. I think I'm going to do a new segment uh, called, and now here's what I think about that. And during that segment, I take an aside and I tell you, here's what I think about that. Because, and that's going to be my new, that's going to be my segment. Because in that segment, what I would do is I would tell you what I thought. I would tell you things that I think about. I would tell you my opinions. I would tell you, I would tell you what I thought about the thing that I was talking about is what would happen in that segment. Um, this is like a new segment where I tell you what I think. I think, um, we're really inject a lot of life into this podcast and, and well, but, uh, but the thing is that, um, God works in mysterious ways. That is not my fault. There's, there's nothing I can do about that. Well, God worked in mysterious ways when my carburetor blew up wish he didn't work in mysterious ways today oh that was weird how god worked in mysterious ways the day that i was using my gps to go to a job interview and the gps took me to the wrong place thank you god and so what was i just talking about I was talking about madison is unique and novel columbus doesn't care about novelty 
that's just one it's just one homogenized uh neutral place it's it's not it's not really identifiable but there's like in some senses columbus competing with ann arbor or ohio state competing with michigan is a battle of who can have more of a lack of identity that's a, columbus is this lack of identity sort of place and what it allows for is a greater magnification of your ability to represent yourself and people in ohio like representation or having the opportunity to be the best representative that's why it is the ohio they say the ohio state university it has a matter that that in my opinion is a matter of a group of people that like representation it's like it's um the ohio state university because every single college in the whole country is the university of wisconsin is the university of texas a&m every one of them is the but but this is i I, for some reason something that ohio is able to exploit by uh positioning themselves as the best representative but i would i'm saying it's like the same reason that people are who go on the moon are from ohio it's like neil armstrong is from ohio and it's because it's a state of people that like to position themselves to be the best representative because they want to win more than other states if you want to win more you you have to have less of a soul and that's what jay leno has jay leno has less of a soul and he has more of a lack of identity that's why he receives the top position but i'm saying winning is a result of being unidentifiable it's not a result of being identifiable and Jay Leno is more just full of hot air, but he he to makes that sacrifice because and it's just like not easy to have s- secrets so that but so that the audience then doesn't have to. But you take more responsibility to protect like mystery or secrecy, and that's more difficult. And that that has to do with reflecting yourself to other people as unidentified as opposed to identified. But this isn't like, I wouldn't say that this is intentional. I'm saying that this is competing, competing ways of life, competing characteristics that are, that naturally occur a lot in lots of different, lots of different people, but you can, you can segregate it to liberal versus conservative where conservatives more unidentified naturally kind of people liberals are more identified naturally kind of people but um is the ohio state the university every single university is the that and so ohio state is like but we are the one that says the and then they get away with it because everyone's like oh yeah people make fun of them for that for that outside of ohio because it's it's worthy of ridicule but it is the same reason that people in Ohio are always like, the weather is so crazy here. And um, you don't really hear that in other states. It's the same thing as the Ohio State University is the reason people in Ohio say that. Because every place in the country, the weather changes a lot. That's the point of weather. Every place in the country, the weather is crazy. Anyone can say that. Anyone can say, the we are the, this university. But people don't because and but Ohio does because they make it a point to be the be the people that are the most general or something to be the people that uh, are the authority on the blandest thing because they're like, well, that's what lack of identity. 
That's why Ohio State wins so many football games. And um, I want to threaten the environment. That's what I want. And let me take an aside to tell you about my desire to threaten the environment. It's just that sometimes when I go into the dog park, and here's the thing, and here's what I realize, is that it doesn't always mesh me with the other people there because because they realize in some instances that I'm a threat to the environment. I'm a threat to the environment because I am not willing at all times to say I love that dog, but just that naturally I have a natural dislike for my dog. This is what is supposed to be uprooted in a dog park environment where everybody expects everybody to huff the paint of positive vibes and liking your dog. But like it's people become one with nature and um, I don't know. I'm not going to go into that about dogs today because I'm going to spare myself that. I'm going to spare myself, spare myself of that. And, um, but like, that's the same thing. The weather is crazy in Ohio because every, everyone, there might be some truth to it. I really I really would never believe that it is the weather is crazier here than in other places. Like, it's by a lake, so you, you can say that. I think some of it has to do with that for large swaths of the year, the temperature in, like, Columbus, for example, is such that the... is such that you have to turn your heat on in your car in the morning, but then by night you have to turn on the AC. First... For large swaths of the year, the temperature outside is such that these, you don't know which one to choose. And that is, uh, but it's like, you don't, you don't intend a lack of identity. You just are that. That's why you, that's why they say that is because they are, they would be the most lack of identity for being the rightful owners of that phrase that they I, make everybody else, make everybody else call them that as they make everybody else call them the place that has the craziest weather it's like nobody should nobody should actually be able to say that they have the craziest weather because not nobody's been to every place too it's like in the country i was in denver and denver has actually like insane changes in weather like if you're up in the mountains weird weird weather shit like weird swings in temperature but they're not because they're not concerned in a lack of identity like denver really goes in the opposite direction they're they are very identified columbus very unidentified and that's the truth but madison is unique and novel and like they're identifiable. Wisconsin, you just need to get off of that. You need to stop. You need to try to win some games, A. Eh? Maybe you should win some games. But uh, what I think it was Wisconsin playing Michigan I was watching, and I think that's, that's a game. No, I think it was actually when they were playing Notre Dame. One of the one of the teams that they got blown out by, like this year, Wisconsin this year has all of these big games that all the entire country gets to watch, like all these big matchups, but it's the year that they suck the most. Every single other year, they play nobody and win all the games. But you know what? That's probably why they're winning those games, is because they're playing nobody. 
And they're actually one of the most overrated programs in all of college football. Like, they're right up there with Notre Dame as just overall consistently overrated. And that is the environment that Paul Christ creates for. That's what he brings to the table because guy can't win a Rose Bowl. Don't forget, Wisconsin fans, that Paul Christ was in the control room. He was the guy making decisions, calling plays the day that we lost a Rose Bowl to TCU. I think that that alone, that alone is enough evidence to indict him and uh, possibly get rid of the guy. Let's get rid of him because this is this is going in a bad direction. And unfortunately, Paul Christ is like the face. He's the heart and soul of Wisconsin football, and he can do no wrong. And um, that's too bad because he's not. He's becoming less and less good at his job. Obviously the like the more that you see of him and the i was watching them play notre dame and uh, wisconsin's offense was struggling the entire time but then they threw a long pass they completed like a 45 or so yard pass to somebody that grammar's through and it was like oh they can throw downfield all of a sudden but the pass that they completed was to like a five foot eight white guy who looked like a linebacker that had long hair and that was the guy catching the pass, and he was wide open. And it really just, I almost puked. Because, like, I, it made me realize that I would rather put a bullet in my head than watch this team sometimes. Like, could you draw, could you, for, for what reason is the guy that's running downfield wide open 45 yards downfield? Why is he a white guy that looks like a fullback? Why does this play have to have Paul Chris fingerprints all over it? Could you have had something? Why can't you drop a play where there's somebody athletic catching that ball? It's because, like, and the guy who caught it fell down immediately. If you had, if it was just a receiver or something, like, can't you just do something normal if you didn't make a, why, why can you draw passing plays that are, for huge gains, but they're only gimmicks that is a white guy catching it. And why do white people always have to be carrying the torch for Paul Christ based teams? The Wisconsin that I saw growing up didn't have all, it wasn't as whitewashed as this, but like Paul Christ comes into the picture and he wants to, all of a sudden the football team is looking more and more like the basketball team every single year. But it's like, you couldn't have had that be just one of your receivers catching that ball. But of course, because this is a Paul Christ offense, it has to be this gimmick where we're like, yeah, you have to look like the Packers. It has to be a fullback catching it. Like, thank you for that. I, I would really, it's just that I, I can't deal with that if that's what's going to happen. Like, that's not a win. That guy catching a 45-yard pass is such a winning a battle but losing the war kind of moment. Like, there's nothing worse about the optics of that and how much Paul Christ is involved because it's almost like you take away that an athletic guy could have caught that and ran it into the end zone at, because Paul Christ for some reason is because Paul Christ is in the spotlight for it rather than the players because it had to be like this well-designed play. It's almost like, um, and, yeah, yeah, uh, and, 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 but I'm saying that, like, 
it's really lack of identity that makes you money. It isn't identity. Like identities are, identity gets you money. Like having an identity gets you money. But then at that point, then it's a competition across identities. Who who is the most, um, across identities, which identity is the most unidentifiable gets the most money like i mean but in a given field with it for the hierarchy that develops within a group like comedians the um jay leno is relatively more unidentifiable than letterman so he gets the tonight show but like um i'm i'm trying to make the point that actually the most most successful most money that you can make is through having a lack of identity but it's like a prerequisite prerequisite for that is having an identity. It's just like, I mean, that's a starting point. But if you really want to be great, if you really want to optimize that identity, you take it to the extreme of uh, making it a lack of identity. Like it's like you would have to because ident unidentity is on the same spectrum as identity, and so it's like, um you would have to have an identity in order to take it to the extreme of lack of identity. Like identity, you'd have to begin with that. But partially what I'm saying, I want to bring up this point and here it is. And well, partially what I'm saying is that society, the reason that broadcasters and analysts always talk about college football teams as like they have this identity and this they are now winning because they found their identity um, like the reason that broadcasters cite identity as the reason people are successful is because they are unintelligent to the idea, but we live in a world that has not yet parsed out identity from unidentity. And it's really the case that for that pair of opposites and really for all pairs of opposites, the point at which you are evolving, um, in your understanding of that is the point at which you separate a pair of opposites from each other rather than see them as the same thing. And so because of a lack of intelligence in the area of identity, people conflate the two more like, but it, I, I'm not saying people are stupid. I'm saying that like the current status of things is that we have this certain understanding of identity. It doesn't go far enough that we're like these things over that we separate the categories. These things over here are identity. These things are unidentity, but it's really like, it's really the case that um, it's really the case that you have a set A and a set B, and they're like when you haven't separated them, these just are completely overlapping. But the more intelligent you get, the more groups you get to identify within a set A and a set B. And so there's one group that is both of them. They're like the intersection. There's one group that is either or. That's the union of a, set A and B. And then there's a group of people that are just identified. There's a group of people that are just unidentified. That's if you're just in set A or just in set B. People that are both of those are the intersection of those two sets. Like some people are, I, I guess you you would be able to say that. You, could, you would determine the category that people are both identified and unidentified. But that's just the middle of the spectrum. Spectrum goes from identity to unidentity. But what I'm saying is a more, um, I'm saying a point about spectrums that the first breakdown of a spectrum is the point at which you separate increasing left to right from whatever is increasing right to left. You separate a pair of inverses because like when it is opposites like that, you can set them on a spectrum and understand them to be. So a spectrum from identity to unidentity includes, um, 
like, and you say identity is the far left and unidentity is at the far right, then unidentity increases left to right, identity decreases left to right, unidentity decreases right to left, and identity increases right to left. And those are four separate statements, all include because there's like four things going on for spectrum. But like, it's at the point that you separate these two groups that you have a deve- an intelligent development across society. But I'm saying that this is how it would work with all opposites. We start off by conflating the two. And then as we grow to become more intelligent, then um, we separate them. But when we figure out, when we figured out colors, developing cultures, when they learn colors, the first color that they learn Historically, historically speaking, people doing research, gathering data across many different tribes as they develop and how they identify colors. The first color they identify is black. The second color they identify is white. But, and I would say this is as a result of identifying the opposite and drawing it out. But I'm talking about how spectrum, as it stands with the two opposites conflated, overlapping each other, the inverse, that it completely inversified existence as they exist in a spectrum. This is an integral. And then you parse out your first parsing out. Your first derivative is identifying the opposite and separating that. And, um, like that, that would work with that's, that works. That's a language. I'm talking about language. That's how language grows like that's but I, i'm just saying that and this is just true in lots of areas of life like the first cell that then divides to create a baby or any like mammal or living thing whatever like the cell divides into two like the first division is you first derivative that you have to allow that you allow yourself is going to be the opposite of the thing um is that true for all the true for all things um, this is like, so we separated out white from black. And then at that point you develop, at that point you can create lots of derivatives, lots of, lots of categories off of the, I mean, yeah, you allow yourself to do more categories and, but, um, what I'm saying, what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, what, I, what, I, what, 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 what I'm saying is, um, the broadcasters are like, so there's, there's that, there's that about identity, lack of identity is what's going to make you the most money, but broadcasters are bringing up that, things like that, and then they are, they follow techniques of each other, the sports broadcasters do, they listen to, they say, they repeat things that other people said, and that is to look good for the camera, and it's because, because there are mainstream narratives that play out in the sports broadcasting world that are not necessarily true, not necessarily actually natural, the kinds of things that they, kinds of ideas and narratives that they put out there that are accepted, uh, at a mainstream level, like broadcasters that are on a mainstream level have to align themselves with mainstream ideas and ideals. But I was watching, I was watching Joel Clack go on Colin Coward, which Joel Clack goes on Colin Coward once a week. I think it's every Wednesday and they talk about college football for like 15 minutes. And they're two of the best broadcasters in the game, uh, really of all of sports. But 
like so Joel Clad is more of a college football expert and he is talking about there's an upcoming game on Saturday Iowa's playing Penn State and Iowa's at home and they're talking about Iowa's home stadium and uh Joel Clad was Joel Clad was saying that it's romantic oh, Iowa's football stadium and their situation and he's referring to that there's a children's hospital overlook there's a children's hospital right next to the football stadium and he's like Iowa, I, I feel like it's called Hawkeye Field, or, or no, actually, I think it's called something weird. I'm not sure, because they're the Hawkeyes, but he, he, he's like, he used the word romantic to describe the, their venue. He's like, Iowa's venue is one of the most romantic in sports, because Iowa fans have this tradition of waving to the kids in the children's hospital because the children's hospital is tall enough that it overlooks the stadium and then like after the third quarter all the iowa fans wave at the kids in the children's hospital and joel Klatt's like this is one of the most romantic venues in sports and uh that's not really the right choice of words for that i wouldn't say it's, it's not really romantic that there's a children's hospital next to a college football stadium that it's really more like that doesn't make any sense at all, right? And so there's no, there. Why why would people be exploiting this to build more of a relationship between these two completely different worlds? There's romantic. Uh, it's not. Uh, mm, I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say that that was romantic. That might not be the greatest way of describing that. That that's romantic. It's probably not. It's probably not so much that it's romantic them waving at children in a children's hospital but um it's just that those kids are up there in that hospital and then they're like i would say it's really one of the weirdest traditions in college football but of course but i unsurprisingly that's going on in iowa like you would want to ask the question why is there why did they build a children because this is like newly built children's hospital why'd they build a children's hospital that is that so big that it's tall enough that it's actually taller than the football stadium and the reason that that happened is because people in iowa are dumb people in iowa are dumb they're kind of more apish physical types of people that don't when they talk it's more like uh garbled i would say is it like I think what you see with that is like, oh, the people in Iowa made this. They had trouble communicating to each other. And then what results is that all of a sudden you have a giant children's hospital overlooking a football stadium because the two groups of people probably didn't get together. And it's you throw that in with Iowa's football stadium, their venue and their traditions. You throw that in with that their opposing team's locker room is all pink and has all pink urinals. And that is also a pretty confused tradition. And it's just that, unsurprisingly, this is the this conglomeration, this complex of confused traditions is going on at Iowa because people in Iowa are dumb and they have trouble talking to each other. And, and the thing is that it's just that like, uh, and I have a friend that lives in Iowa named Jasmine, and I'm not, I'm not talking about her. She's, I really wouldn't associate, I wouldn't go, like, I wouldn't insult her enough to actually associate her with Iowa that much. It was like, but, um, like, I'm not, I'm, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I relate her to Iowa. So shout out to Jasmine and shout out to 
Well, let's let's do some shout outs. Let's shout out to people that I know once I think about them. I'll try to do some shout outs. I'll try to not I'll try to uh, let's just expand what I'm doing. I'm tired of the restriction of these parameters. Um, but that that's romantic is I have, I have a hard time buying that. Those people are waving to the kids in the hospital. And it's it's just that uh, uh, there's kids in the hospital and there's something there's something peculiar about it. Like the people start waving at them is um, you can't really do much about that. As the kids in the hospital, you receive all these waves like they're um, like for some reason they make it a point to wave. And I'm just not ready to talk about this point. <laughs> Let me give myself a break. Here we go. I'll come back after this drink of coffee here. I'll give, let's, let's settle down here. It shouldn't be that hard to say whatever it is I was going to say. They're like, they're in the hospital and like people start waving at them. What are those kids supposed to do with those waves? Are they supposed to collect them? And, um, supposed to keep those on, keep those around like it's nice that you wave to these kids in this hospital but it would it, what would even be better like this is a tradition this is a celebration that centers around waving at kids in a hospital i think that the kids would like it better if they wouldn't it be better if those kids weren't at the hospital like if they were at home i think that they would like that better what would be an even better tradition if is if those kids were not being waved at because that would mean that they weren't in a hospital but but now we have to recognize the sick and dying children because there's tragedy going on there and it's just the case that there are a lot of people like older people that like to make a worshipful experience out of kids that are sick and dying that people like to do not just older people people like to do that for some reason they like to consume tragedy and that is in some senses what's going on with this iowa tradition it's people like to make um tragedy or dying children into a worshipful experience and treat very sick kids as sacred objects and that's what you have with this somber ritualistic tradition waving to kids that are up in a hospital and good for them i wonder what they do i wonder what they do what they do with those waves that they receive i wonder what they do they convert it into cash instantly i wonder do they convert those waves into cash like they get those waves and they take those kids take it right to the bank immediately or do they they spend it all they spend all those waves right away. That's my question. It's hard to it's hard to say, but like, and I would say that you're never really too young to start looking at your, your different financial options. Start looking at investing. Like, um, somebody should probably let those kids in on what they can invest in because you you collect you collect a few thousand waves from those fans, and then you invest that in Bitcoin and. Before you know it, they could probably make like triple the amount of waves that they got. Um, before you know it, they could probably get like triple the amount of waves that they got. And then think of that. Think of how many waves they have. They had triple the waves that they got. And then what they could spend that on. They got triple the waves. That would be insane. What if they had like two million people waving at them? I think that that would probably be 
probably be an even greater accomplishment, an even greater tradition. Those fans in Iowa. Like, what if they? What if the fans in Iowa had 2 million people waving at those kids, and then those kids took those 2 Like, each kid took 2 million waves, invested in Bitcoin, and, like, you know, Bitcoin blows up. Like, probably within a year, they could have tripled that amount of waves. And then each kid has 6 million waves. Could you imagine if each terminally ill child had the equivalent of 6 million people waving at them? And all of the cancer that that would cure? That would be insane. I, the world would be a different place if six million people were waving at a kid and they could they could exchange they exchange all of those waves. Think of how many waves they would have. Think of how many waves they could get. As long like as long as we realize we can do this tradition, we found a way of giving kids waves that they desperately need. Think of what they could think of how far they could go. Like the people that and the people that are waving, really, they're I mean, as long as they're giving waves, why don't they give if they're giving waves, they sh they should also they could do other things like they could take their feet off. They could take their shoes off and start waving their feet at the kids. I don't I don't see why not. As long as it's so important to show terminally ill kids your hands, why not take your shoes off and start waving your feet at them? That same situation, as long as we're just trying to try to do the right thing why don't they wave their tits at them you know it'd be really good though is if they turn their backs on them what if they what if the iowa fans turn their backs on the kids in the hospital show them their backs that way that that way that would really that would really show like the kids are collecting turned backs the kids would know at that point that they were in a hospital and then the fans have better seats and are healthy and at a football game. They would really get that message if they turn their backs to them. But like what I'm talking about, not very eloquently, not pretty indirectly and strangely, but so let me not talk about what I'm doing because I'm trying to make a profound point of sorts. Uh, like that's what that says to me the whole optics of them tr waving the fans waving at these kids is just that the act of kindness but these are the kinds of things that result when you have an entire world that reduces kindness to acts though people think that kindness has to be an act that's that's what you get you get a bunch of people falling all over themselves to contribute something that doesn't need to be contributed because uh you might tell me like if i don't do enough or i appear lazy or i appear you can appear inconsiderate so easily because people are always people are trying to hold you to acts of kindness but like i'm being kind to this group of people or this group of people or anyone i'm being kind just by doing nothing in a lot of instances like you're kind you're kind by not not throwing yourself into that or not going like like kindness doesn't have to be kindness doesn't have to be an act but it's really like this whole thing all the broadcasters look at this tradition and they have to keep saying that it's beautiful like what a display of humanity this is so somber it's so hot like they have no they can't describe it because it's weird basically it's why they can't describe it but really, it, and that's because we live in a world that thinks that every act is positive. Like, you would tell me, 
like obviously the fans of Iowa don't have nefarious intent or their heart is in the right place. They're trying to do the right thing. Like nobody's trying to be mean to anybody, but that's, that has, that's how the world would respond to what I just said. So it'd be like, well, what they're doing is right because in a world like people are trying, if you're trying to make everything a positive sign, you're going to say that you're, you're going to say that everybody's heart is in the right place, but like, Stop giving everybody the benefit of the doubt. Some things that look weird are just weird. Like some things that are an act of kindness are like if you try to make everything a positive sign is like this is positive. This is all good. You don't recognize you don't recognize that things are funny and things are creepy to some extent. And like this is positive is what people say about that. But eh, eh. you try to make everything a you try to make everything an act of kindness when it's like this is um, some things that are an act of kindness as reported by everybody on a mainstream level because that's that's a mainstream narrative is that like everybody has to fall in line with saying that the positive things are very positive the things that but it's like a media driven narrative that isn't necessarily ex- reflected by the by the public, the rest of the population. The rest of the population probably looks at that and like, that's weird. I think that in some senses, it's like, a, it's an, it's an, it undoes what's happening in Iowa. I don't think it's good for them. It's more like an anti-tradition than it is a tradition. But it's really like, it's an act of kindness, but in, in reality, it's a flaw in human relationships, this thing that's going on. Because you have these two worlds that are completely unrelated, and then because they were put next to each other people think that and people think that they're doing kindness just by waving but really what are you waving goodbye bye is that what they're waving because you know it's better than a wave is like a a number of things like being there in person or are you just what are you waving it's like you're if you're waving your hands You'd be waving your feet or waving, turning your back. What what are you waving? Is a question that needs to be asked with that situation. What what you waving by? There's only a couple things that you can wave, and um, it's a world that makes every. That's what happens when kindness is an act. Kind. That's what happens when kindness is always an act. Is that it's like. It only goes so far sometimes, an act that you commit. Like, you can be a lot nicer a lot of the time by not displaying consideration. Because people stop making it, stop making everybody take a vaccine as an act of kindness, as a display, as a show to show that you're doing things for the good of everybody. It ha- kindness plays out in acts only. In an act of kindness kind of world, you have these. You have a tradition like that that everybody has to say is tremendous. When it's just a, it's just a flaw in human relationships. It's a lack of communication. It's two entities that aren't related that then are trying to relate themselves. All right, so that's that's all good. Uh, talk to you. Talk to you later. Goodbye.